Welcome to the Something Patriots podcast, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, a podcast where we talk a little something about the Somerset Patriots. Game over! Series over! 27 up and 27 down for Teasley! The Patriots are your 2015 Atlantic League champions! Patriots win another Atlantic League title! Warning track ball! Done! Home run for Corey Aldridge! His third blast of the game! It's a walk-off grand slam! It is gone! Ball game over! Series over! And Patriots are the 2008 Atlantic League champions! On 1450 WCTC, WCTCAM.com, and where podcasts are available. A pleasant hello, and welcome to episode number three of the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening to this podcast, that means that you've likely heard episodes one and two And have decided to stay with us, and that is very much appreciated. On today's episode, Major League Baseball and some other sports leagues continue to work towards a common goal of restarting their seasons. Plus, we analyze some of the latest comments to come from Atlantic League President Rick White on when and how an Atlantic League season would look like if it restarted. And, of course, we will be taking a trip down memory lane uh, to the 2007 through 2011 Somerset Patriots seasons uh, with one of the most notable players in team history. Yes, it's first baseman and designated hitter Josh Presley, who was previously listed as the top Patriot of all time prior to the 2017 season and earlier this week uh, was named to the all-decade team for seasons between 2010 and 2019. But before we get going, a reminder that this episode airs live on The Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com on Friday, May 22nd at 6 p.m., Uh, and that every future episode of this podcast will first air live on 1450 WCTC on every Friday night uh, at 6 p.m. Additionally, though, you can listen to the archived version of this podcast and all previous episodes on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms, uh, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and anchor. All right. With that said, let's get into it. Who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! <laughs> yes, that audio clip of Patriots Director of Ticketing Nick Chirillo uh, is back, and it will continue to be featured on this podcast until we can play baseball again, and this is, this is probably my last time um, commenting on that clip, but it is here to stay, um, at least until we play baseball. Um, but anyway, uh, so so news broke earlier today, um, which which at the time of this recording is is Thursday, May twenty first. Uh, that Major League Baseball's Players Association um, had officially responded to MLB's proposal on what they would like a new baseball season to look like. Um, and we touched a little on MLB's elements in last week's episode and their proposal, and uh, and we focused primarily on the financial and logistical side 
uh, at least in referencing, you know, who would play who and what the teams would look like. Um, but there wasn't a lot of information, uh, at least that has come out so far today, about what is exactly in the Players Association's proposal um, that has been sent back to Major League Baseball. But what has become a little clear is that at least today, the primary focus from the Players Association has been on the health and safety end of things. Uh, Joel Sherman of the New York Post reported that players want the volume of COVID-19 tests increased from what was originally proposed in Major League Baseball's proposal. Um, They also want um, more specifics on proper protocols for things like positive tests and what would happen once a player tests positive, um, in-stadium medical personnel, uh, protections for high-risk players and their families, access to pre- and post-game therapies, um, sanitation protocols as well. I mean, all of these things are important, of course, and, and it highlights that you know there are so many small aspects of a player's everyday routine in baseball um, that, honestly, not a lot outside of the game really know about. But, I mean, certainly... All of those really need to be examined really closely uh, to provide the safest possible environment uh, for everyone that would be surrounding the game. It does look, though, uh, like this is the first real step in the negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association to get the season started. Uh, But even once all of the safety issues are hammered out and they come to an agreement, uh, there's still all of the financial ends of things that need to be agreed upon by, by both sides like revenue sharing and player salary allotment. Um, So all of that needs to be figured out, which basically means that we still have a lot of work to do before we could have a clear idea of when Major League Baseball will return. So how does this affect the Atlantic League? Well, uh, on Wednesday night, the 20th, um, Atlantic League President Rick White was actually quoted in a Newsday article uh, written by Jordan Lauterbach um, in regards to some steps that the league would need to take to resume play. Um, In the article, Rick uh, said in reference to when the league will start up again, he said, quote, "Um, what we don't want to do is create a false promise. Uh, If we're going to announce a date, we're going to go on that date. Uh, End quote. He later added that the goal is to play as many games as possible without, quote, uh, going too deeply into the fall. So certainly some stuff um, to unravel there. Um, White also mentioned that um, certain safety measures are currently being reviewed uh, by the league regarding the game, including going, quote, so far as to mandate that when balls are rubbed up with rubbing mud uh, before games that umpires are using gloves, um, end quote. There have also been similar rumors that have come out for Major League Baseball about that kind of thing um, that have mentioned that, you know, that if any baseball touched by multiple players uh, after it was in play, that that baseball would need to be taken out of the game um, and either sanitized or just completely taken out of the game. And there's even been some reports that, you know, each team might have to bring their own baseballs uh, to each game and use those when they're in the field uh, to try to cut down on any potential risks in that regard as well. Um, White did, however, he did end on a positive note. He's saying that the league's effort is to, quote, leave no stone unturned, end quote, um, and that there is, quote, a combination of optimism and hope that each day brings us more reasons to believe there's optimism that we can play. Uh, So what does all of that mean? That's a lot, um, and it's certainly great to hear from Rick uh, in regards to the future of the league. 
So he first talks about a start date. I know that's the question that a lot of fans have on their minds is when we're going to start baseball again. Uh, There is still no firm start date. Major League Baseball is targeting early July. I think the Atlantic League um, in an ideal situation would love to be able to start in that early to mid-July time frame and try to get at least a half season in, if not more. Um, It's tough to try to push the league too far into the fall. Reason being, a lot of the guys in the league, a majority of them almost, uh, really try to play winter ball um, overseas in the Caribbean, uh, try to get some opportunities after the um, United States baseball seasons really come to a close. So there is a concern if you push the season too much into the fall that it might be difficult for some of the players in this league to have that opportunity to supplement their income, play elsewhere in a winter league, and that there might be some conflicts and some carryover. Uh, So that would not be ideal for the league to try to uh, extend too far into the fall. And regarding some of the safety measures that Rick White mentioned, I mean, these those are pretty consistent with what's been coming down from Major League Baseball. I mean, there are legitimate and serious concerns that um, all league officials, whether it be in the Atlantic League or in Major League Baseball, really need to take into account and be innovative regarding what a new baseball would look like. I think everyone knows at this point it's not going to be the same uh, type of game, the same type of environment uh, that everyone is used to uh, previously. Hopefully we can get back to that as soon as um, health and safety guidelines allow. Uh, But for the time being, there will be a lot of new elements. And, you know, it's going to be at the Atlantic League level. It's going to be at the Major League level. What those elements are going to look like, some um, regular fans might not notice. I'm sure there's a lot that fans will notice. Uh, and more information is going to continue to come out. But I think we're all in agreement that, you know, if a lot of health and safety measures need to be taken to get to the point where we can play baseball as safely as possible, uh, a lot of us would certainly like to see baseball back and and like to see those changes made so that we can, you know, we could have some Somerset Patriots baseball again at TD Bank Ballpark, um, which we're all hoping to get to as soon as we possibly can. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by T-Mobile. Get four lines of unlimited data for just $30 a line with AutoPay, plus taxes and fees. Visit T-Mobile.com for details and other special offers. T-Mobile, are you with us? The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by NJM. At NJM, we understand the hardships you might be going through right now. That's why we're offering payment relief. We'll continue providing you protection no matter what tomorrow brings. Because dealing with uncertainties is our business. This isn't just insurance, it's NJM. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. With eight locations on routes 202 and 31 in Flemington, has a commitment of providing an essential service to the community. In accordance with state and federal directives, all their service and parts operations are open for business with no contact pickup and delivery available. Sales operations are being conducted virtually, so you can shop at home online 24-7 at Flemington.com, and they'll deliver the vehicle to you. Flemington Car and Truck Country, taking all necessary precautions to assure a safe and healthy environment for their customers and associates, here for you today and tomorrow. (music) 
And we're back on the Something Patriots podcast. Again, my name is Mark Schwartz. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, This episode, episode three of the podcast, is airing live on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, on Friday, May 22nd uh, at 6 p.m. So be sure to tune in every Friday to hear this podcast episode. The reason I bring it up now, uh, we are going to give a preview uh, of our guest for this week's episode. It is first baseman designated hitter, uh, previously voted as the top all-time Somerset Patriot and recently named to the all-decade team as well, Josh Presley uh, had a great conversation with Josh that wound up going about 75 minutes uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, So for the podcast purpose, I tried to keep as much of the interview as possible. If you're listening to this interview uh, and this episode live on the radio on 1450 WCTC, uh, the interview is a little abbreviated, but if you want to hear the full interview, Uh, You can listen to the archived version of this broadcast on SomersetPatriots.com or where we have the podcast on participating platforms such as Spotify and Google Podcasts. All right, so let's take a look at what was going on at the time that Josh Presley entered into the fold for the Somerset Patriots. Well, Presley played in Somerset from 2007 through 2011. Uh, the 2006 season, the, the last season preceding the Presley era, uh, the Patriots did not make the playoffs that year. They did finish with an above 500 record. They were 65 and 61, but wound up finishing third in the South Division and failed to make the playoffs after they had previously won uh, their franchise's third Atlantic League championship in 2005. So Presley enters the fold in 2007. He's recruited to the Patriots by Jeff Nettles, one of the all-time greats for the franchise as well. And Josh does a great job in the uh, in the upcoming interview talking about how Nett was able to convince him to come over to Somerset. Uh, but all that Presley did was come into uh, the Patriots community and just perform. His first year in Somerset in 2007, uh, the team lost to the Newark Bears in the Atlantic League Championship Series, um, but still a 283 batting average for, for Presley that year, 13 home runs, 56 runs batted in. Um, he's an all-star that year for the Patriots. But 2008 is when Presley really made a name for himself in the Somerset community. One of the all-time great seasons in team history. He was named the Atlantic League Player of the Year, only the third player at the time that was a Patriot to earn that honor. Of course, the team won the Atlantic League Championship later in 2008, uh, but listen to the numbers that Presley put up in that 2008 season. A 354 batting average, 30 home runs, 101 runs batted in. Um, the 30 home runs tied a franchise single-season mark, which still stands to this day, and it tied his teammate, In that season, uh, former major leaguer Brandon Larson, and Josh actually goes into a really funny story uh, about that home run chase uh, with Larson um, in the upcoming interview, so you want to stick around and hear that. It's a a real good one. Uh, But of course, the Patriots win the 2008 Atlantic League Championship. Uh, That was the year that Travis Anderson hit the walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning of Game 4. Uh, to give the Patriots the title. That was their fourth championship in franchise history. Of course, they beat the Camden River Sharks that year in the championship series. Uh, Presley comes back in 2009. Jeff Nettles rejoins the team after he spent the 2008 season in the Baltimore Orioles organization with Double A Bowie. 
Uh, but in 2009, the Patriots win an Atlantic League championship again, and it's another strong season for Josh Presley. We don't have to keep on giving his numbers, uh, but the Patriots win in 2009, so it's Presley's second Atlantic League championship with the team. And I mean, there was a lot of guys that were um, just core members of that team, and Presley's going to get into it a bit later, but Travis Anderson, Elliot Ayala, uh, Ryan Radmanovich was on the 2008 team, Jason Belcher was on that 2008 team, Matt Hagan, Brandon Larson, Sean Smith. Um, in terms of arms, Brian Adams, Casey Cahill, Jim McGrain, uh, Josh Miller, I mean, just a really good core of Patriots were on, were on those teams over those couple of years. Uh, 2010, 2011, uh, both years, the last two years for Presley with the Patriots, 2010 um, ended in a tough postseason loss to the York Revolution, but a really fun end to that season that propelled Somerset into the playoffs. 2011 wound up being the last year for Presley in Somerset. He requests a trade afterwards and uh, joins some family down in Texas to play in the inaugural season for the Sugarland Skeeters. But the overall numbers for Presley in his time with Somerset, a 308 batting average over his five seasons, 96 home runs. Um, that ranks third in franchise history. Um, he had 378 runs batted in. Those That ranks second in franchise history. His batting average ranks second in franchise history. Um, third in franchise history and at bats and doubles. Fourth in Patriots history and games played. Fifth in runs. Just absurd numbers for Presley. So when we come back, we'll have our interview with Josh Presley. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by T-Mobile. Get four lines of unlimited data for just $30 a line with AutoPay, plus taxes and fees. Visit T-Mobile.com for details and other special offers. T-Mobile, are you with us? The Something Patriots podcast is also presented by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is making it easier to see a doctor from home and cutting your costs so you can get the care you need. Here for you now and always. Learn more at horizonblue.com always. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. With eight locations on routes 202 and 31 in Flemington, has a commitment of providing an essential service to the community. In accordance with state and federal directives, all their service and parts operations are open for business with no contact pickup and delivery available. Sales operations are being conducted virtually, so you can shop at home online 24-7 at Flemington.com, and they'll deliver the vehicle to you. Flemington Car and Truck Country, taking all necessary precautions to assure a safe, and healthy environment for their customers and associates, here for you today and tomorrow. And we're back on the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and we have uh, right now possibly our most exciting guest so far on the podcast. It is one of, and actually voted a couple of years ago, the best Somerset Patriot of all time. It's Josh Presley. How you doing, Josh? I'm well. How you doing? I'm doing good. I, it's it's great to catch up and uh, and hear from you. How, how's everything going? It's going well. It's going well. About as as well as it can be with what's with the craziness that's going on around in the world right now. Just had uh, 
Faye and I just had our our first uh, baby boy. He's just turned nine weeks old. So in the fog of war of parenthood, and uh, you know we're uh, up in North Carolina with my uh, with my parents right now, and um, just starting to get kind of back to normal. But other, you know, a lot of a lot of good things. A lot of good things. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's such a weird time, but I, I agree. It's important to try to find some potential silver linings in, in what is such a difficult time for so many people. And, you know, all right, so let, let's talk a little bit about your career. Obviously, you know, the focus of this uh, conversation is going to be your time in Somerset. Uh, earlier this week, you were announced to the uh, Somerset Patriots all-decade team for seasons between 2010 and 2019. And, of course, your time in Somerset um, preceded uh, those last two seasons that you had here in 2010 and 2011. Um, but before we get into that, I, I just want to – give a little bit of a reminder to some of our fans on, on exactly how you got to Somerset um, in the first place. The 2006 season ends and uh, you're looking for your next opportunity. How does, I guess, obviously through Jeff Nettles, who we'll get to in a little bit, but sort of how does Somerset really get on your radar and, and what was the process on, on how you eventually decided that Somerset was the right place to call home? So, 2005, I was in I was in Kansas City uh, in spring training. I met Net. We were um, both free agents coming into the organization, and Net was consistently talking about Somerset, how awesome it was. We became friends. You know, you, you kind of get he was a corner guy, I was a corner guy. We were both free agents. Um, we were all the free agents kind of were in the shared the same clubhouse space. So you kind of get to know everybody and. Uh, you just kind of get your like spring training crew, your spring training friends and, and that and I hit it off and we started hanging out a lot. Um, and he kind of started getting my ears like, Hey, when, when you're all done with this, uh, organizational stuff, you got to come play where it's fun, fun again. And I was like, okay, like everybody that has never known, doesn't know the league. You don't know what you don't know until you get there. Right. And, and you kind of, as a guy that's only been in an organization, you're like, okay, yeah, but I don't know if it's for me. I don't, you know, you start going back and forth on all this. Uh, all this stuff and it's funny like fast forward I ended up being on the other side of that when I was trying to tell all my buddies to come that ended up coming to Somerset to play I, I was like the complete role reversal telling everybody hey why don't you just get out of the organization come have some fun um, and re- reverse back to 2005 I can remember Jeff had a great spring training I mean he was you know, he was like Jeff Nettles, but in the playoffs, like he is with Somerset, just on fire, uh, couldn't make an out. And you also, as you go through a bunch of spring trains as a free agent, you start to see writings on the wall when you're coming in and you're like, man, I really don't have much of a chance in case, unless some things happen, people get hurt. Um, and he was like, man, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to end up, uh, making a club. I was like, come on, dude, you're hitting like, you know, you just went like nine for four with 12 homers. Like you're definitely making a team. He's like, I'm telling you press. I'm not, you know, I just don't have good feelings about this. I got some prospects, yada, yada. I can't remember. I think, I think they were trying to move Michael Velas to third base. I, I'm going like way back in my not good memory bank right now. Um, and uh, I was like, nah, dude, you're, you're good. Sure enough. Um, comes down to like just about the last day. You'll have to fact, fact check the heck out of this with Nettles, but um, he ends up not making a team, and as he's rolling out, he's like the happiest guy in the clubhouse. And everybody's looking at him, and they're like, this guy's crazy. 
and you know, he just got cut and he's all pumped. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, yeah, he's like, they, uh, they just said the numbers didn't work. Dude, it's just, it's just baseball. It's the way it is. But the best part about this is I'm going back to Somerset and he's like, next time something happens, call me. And, uh, and when you call me, you need somewhere to go. That's where you want to go. I'm telling you, dude, you'll love it. You got to come. Even if you're done and you just want to play for a year, you got to come play with me. And I was like, all right. I kind of half blew him off and somewhat thought, man, this guy's crazy. He's like the only happy guy ever. I see going out of a clubhouse because he's going to this place <laughs> in New Jersey. Um, and, uh, you know, we kept in touch a little bit here and there. I ended up going to Kansas City, uh, having a, a pretty good year there. Um, signed with Boston in spring training became kind of a numbers game like Jeff in that situation. Um, and I bounced around and got released and I was sitting on my couch. Um, and I can't remember whether Jeff called me or Brett called me first. I, I, I really can't remember that, but it was like, Hey, I've been telling you, you need to come. You need, you need to get here. And it was the end of the year. I really, it might've been that I really wasn't, I was like, I'm just going to see what happens. See if I sign with anybody. I think I ended up signing with St. Louis and that was, um, you know, it was just as a filler spot for, for a little bit with a possible invite the next year. Um, and then they started contacting me. I think that was from Brett contacting me coming into that next season, which would have been the, 2007 season I believe um and I was trying to make a decision where I wanted to go and you know um at the time net ended up being with signing with Baltimore so ironically he probably I think this you might have this in front of you I'm trying these years are running together regardless I end up going to I end up ended up finally saying, you know what, I'm going to listen to this guy. And he's as persistent as it gets. I talked to Brett a little bit. He charmed me with his Southern accent and moonshine stories. <laughs> and uh, I just said, what the heck, man, let me take a, let me take a run of this thing and see what this is like. And kind of the rest somewhat is, is really history as far as, you know, my, my career there and what I, and, and they were a hundred percent right. It was the most fun I ever had. Um, best friends I've ever made. And truly became a home to me and made me actually really love baseball again for what it was when I first started playing. So you, you bring up the fun of the game, and this is something that I've heard from a number of people that I've talked to about the differences maybe between independent baseball and playing in a major league organization. Um, but can you talk a little more specifically because I've heard – that and again, I've never played in a major league organization, um, but I've heard that you know sometimes the way that some of those organizations work, there's prospects that get priority, and and some guys need to get playing time opposed to others that might not be playing as well. Can, can you dive a little deeper into why it was so different that it was fun in Somerset for you, and it allowed you to you know find your love of the game versus your time in a major league organization? Yeah, I, I mean, look, the game's great in itself. Um, it's fun no matter what. You're in a clubhouse with guys that um, are, are trying to accomplish the same goal all year long. I mean, I'm not sitting here and, and just trying to, you know, throw major league organization of under the bus, but um, you know, there does there is a little bit more that goes along with it. Where when you're going into any Atlantic League team, the Atlantic League's a great league in general, but when you're going into that setting. 
where there's no above you and no below you. And the whole goal is to win baseball games. Um, it's just a completely different mindset. You know, like the goal in the minor leagues is to win baseball games, but the, the, the primary goal is to develop talent, to become a better player and to, um, you know, take, take whatever talent there is there according to who is the prospect to move up and make sure that they become the players that they need to be to be successful so that the big league club can win. So, you know, that you kind of get the hint of, it, it doesn't become more of a selfish thing, but it, it, the reality of it is if at the end of the game, if you became a better player that day, if you worked, if you worked your butt off all day and something translated to a double and a homer, um, you made a couple of good plays in the field and everybody played hard and you guys busted your butts, but you didn't win the game. It wasn't like devastating that you lost if all those boxes were checked, you know, which is kind of contrary to, the competitive mind of an athlete. Um, you know, winning is still important, but it's not the most important thing necessarily at that level until you get to the big leagues. Hmm. Going back to Somerset, you walk in and immediately, like, all that matters is that at the end of the game, like, we won. Like, that hmm. was it. And and it was refreshing again to be, the competition became the other team, and the competition also becomes yourself in that, look, I got to play well or I'm not going to play. Right. Like it wasn't a matter of, okay, you got your early work in, you had a couple of the bats, you battled here, check off a hard hit ball. Good job. Like on to the next game. It was like, I got to perform. I got to help my team win. And most importantly, we have to win games. And that is what is deemed success, which is kind of right back to the the athlete mindset of, of how we were raised. And to go back into that and to have everybody just dead set focused on winning and to have Sparky, preaching win every day um, to have Brett consistently finding, finding talent, pushing people, making hard decisions, but also putting a collective group in the room that just wants to win baseball games. It it's incredibly refreshing when you've been on the other side of that for 10 years. So, so how quickly, I guess, did you learn that? Expectations were set to be higher. I would say the day we walked into spring training and, <laughs> and um, like all anybody talked about was winning a championship. Like I, I think, you know, playoffs were a given championship was what we were going to win. And like any, any win during the regular season was just supposed to happen. And if it didn't like, you know, it was a, it was a shock. It was a shock to not win, you know, as far as having fun and, and letting us be our own people and do what we want. Probably the second day of spring training when, when Sparky called an open bar and those stories are not going to be revealed, but, um, you know, that was probably just listening to him tell his stories and listening to, and, and just the, 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 the mantra that he put forth about having fun together as a team. Um, it, it was just, it was, it's just a different feel. So, so 2007 season comes and goes. Your first season um, in independent baseball is done, and you guys, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you lose to Newark in the championship series. But of course, you come back in 2008, and uh, you know, I couldn't have a conversation with you. I don't know. You've probably answered a bunch of questions about your 2008 season before, but I, I mean, I can't talk to you. I would be doing an injustice if I didn't ask you just simply what worked well for you in. in 
just a tremendous 2008 season in which you were named the league's player of the year. I mean, you hit 354, tied a franchise record, 30 home runs, 101 runs batted in. Just, I mean, what was clicking for you so well that year? Oh, I met my wife. Very, there you go. Very early <laughs> on in the season. Um, I mean, that was definitely a part of it. I, it was a, it's a storybook season, and I don't think somebody could have written that that chapter for that team, um, and and would believe it if you did. We had a, a group of guys that got together. Um, some of my best friends. I mean, it was, you hit a, you hit a season where those, everybody on that team just wanted to win, didn't care about getting out of there, didn't care, didn't want to get out of there. I mean, we had guys, you know, Mike Ryan didn't want to leave. Like, had to basically force him out the door. <laughs> um, you know, Frankie Moore, I remember Frankie literally tearing up in the clubhouse when he, but had to go because it was the right move. We're like, dude, you're an idiot if you don't leave. But didn't want to leave, you know. Um, the guys that came came and went on that team that contributed to the wins, um, you know, I learned a lot from those guys. I learned a lot from Lars, um, you know, about how to hit, how to pick your spots. I, I remember uh, he was a different bird, Larson, <laughs> unbelievable human being. Um, but I remember he he was beat, like he was his body was breaking down a little bit, and um, the all-star game was in Somerset that year. And he had obviously, he'd made the all-star team, but he really needed to go home. Um, he had to go home for some reasons. And he's like, look, you know, Mr. Cal, everything was in Somerset. So it was like, Lars, dude, you can't, <laughs> you got to know Larson, but you're like, dude, you can't miss the all-star game. It's in Somerset. You know, you're, you're the best player on the team. Like you can't miss the all-star game. So he had kind of said we had clinched. So we were in the playoffs. Um, he had said like, look, I, I can go to the All-Star game, but I've got to go home afterwards, so I'm going to miss it. i got to miss a little bit of time in the second half of the year. And, and you know, um, once you clinch, the second half of the year is keeping everybody healthy, yeah. keeping everybody hot, but yeah. most importantly, getting everybody healthy and getting everybody ready. So it really wasn't a big deal either way. So um, he stayed for the All-Star game, was in the home run derby, uh, did the whole thing for, for Somerset. And then went home to take care of some stuff at home beginning of the second half. And I think we, at the break, this is how good this guy was. We were, um, I think I, I, I was behind him by one in homers. I don't know what it was, but it was either one or two. And he was gone for like the first five days of the year. We went to York. Um, and he showed up like game three of York and I had hit, I think I hit one or two came out a little bit hot after the break. So, so I had, I don't remember if I tied him or went up one, but we were consistently jockeying back and forth for who had the most homers in the league. And I knew he had been watching when he was at home, but he would never say he was. So he came back into the clubhouse. He walks in. He's like, "Hey, Press, how you doing?" I'm like, "What's up, Larson? You have a good time at home?" Yeah, I got my stuff taken care of, ready to go, right? And uh, didn't say anything to me. Then came out. He was um, he was hitting in front of me. I, I think I was hitting fourth. He was hitting third. Never said anything to me. Right before he went up to hit, he looked at me. He goes, "Hey, Press, how many homers you got?" And I was like, "Dude, you know how many homers that is." No, Press, how many homers you got? I was like, okay, and I, like I said, I don't remember what I was up one. Like, let's say um, let's say I was ahead of him by one. 
I don't know if we were tied or not. And I was like, Loris, I, I got you by one right now. He was like, oh, really? Dude stepped in the box, second pitch at a home run. That's <laughs> on home plate. I'm going to hit. And he's like, we're tied. And ends up hitting two homers that night. Like, taking the lead on me. And, like, walking to the clubhouse afterwards, just kind of looks at me and gives me, like, a wink. Like, he was that good. Um, so, <laughs> that's a true story. And I'm sitting there like, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, this guy's a machine. Um, he had that, that switch that he could flip. But, uh, yeah, to, to go back to the question oh. you asked a long time ago, uh, <laughs> the reason for that, for that season was the guys that were around me that everybody else was really scared of, um, a, a rededication to the game. And then we just had an amazing team and it was so much fun going to the stadium every day. Yeah, it was just, it was a blast. Um, and, and we all, it seemed like we all got hot at the same time and we all stayed hot and it was just, it was a dream season. I mean, it, you know, and it, and it, and it set up the, it set up the 2009, 2007, 10 season. That core of guys made a decision that like, look, we don't want to go anywhere and we're going to keep playing here until we can't, until we can't and, and we get broken up for whatever reasons. But, you know, there was a core of guys there that stayed that was just, it was, it was a, an epic time in, in my life. I do want to talk about 2009 briefly. You know, you mentioned uh, a little earlier on this conversation that you wanted to come back for 2008 and give it what you said was one final shot at a championship. Um, obviously, that was not your last season in Somerset. Uh, you come back in 2009, and Jeff Nettles has returned to the organization at that point. You guys are riding high. That core group that we talked about earlier is basically coming back all in full in 2009 as well. What was the vibe like in the clubhouse being the defending league champion and then adding a guy like Nettles and coming in with those high expectations again? Um, I mean, the core was there. You know, Elliot, you mentioned, Trav, uh, Hagen, uh, Joe Burke came back. He he was a late entry in, in 08. Um, so really it was the same cast of characters. It was a little bit different of a season because – um, you know, it, if you look at the numbers, it was a lot more, uh, more pitching based. Like we won on great pitching. Um, we weren't going out there and, and, uh, and scoring 10 runs a, de- a, a game. Um, it was really a different dynamic as far as the team on the field. But, um, you know, the core guys, you know, we came in and we're like, well, we did it last year. Let's, let's go back to back. And that was the goal the entire year. Um, and, we all had such a great time the year before off the field together, became really good friends. You know, Nettles was coming back, like you said, and we had that core. So we said, you know, let's just go at it again. And, um, you know, that then you got your guys like Josh Miller, Jim McGrain, that pitching staff that came in was just unbelievable. I mean, J- uh, Josh Miller and Jim McGrain, they would challenge each other every game they would not on like, well, I mean, it was about winning and losing, but they would have a bet in between each start of who would have the the fastest game. Like that was their goal, how fast they could get, they could get the game done. So we were playing like two hour and 20 minute games. Oh, and they were just up there going like just gone. Jim, I can remember Jim sit standing on the mound, looking at the guy, the hitter shrugging his shoulders when he's calling time. Like, Hey, let's go, let's go. <laughs> um, and that was like a, a standing joke with those guys. Like, all right, 
not strikeouts, not wins, not ERA. Like who gets out of there faster? <laughs> so, that's, uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and those guys were, I mean, they became leaders in the clubhouse. They were great guys. You know, you even look at like Jason Standridge, probably had one of the worst seasons in the history of <laughs> Somerset. Like if you ask him, and he was a guy that I was like, he was kind of my version of of what Nettle said to me. I, I played with him his entire career, one of my roommates forever. Guy played in the big leagues with Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, you know, um, Kansas City, and uh, was over in Japan. And I was like, Jace, you got to come here, man. He, you got to come try this. You got to check it out. If you're done, you're done. But just come over. You know, you can, we can be roommates. You can hang out. Uh, Joy, his wife, he just had a son. I was like, bring your whole family. Have a great time. And I was like, by the way, you're, you'll blow through the league. You'll get signed. You'll be out of here in two months because uh, I knew the type of pitcher he was. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a good bridge for you to get out of here. So he's like, okay, you know, I'll come in. Sure enough, dude just gets completely lit up for like two or three months. <laughs> they can't get him out. I think the first, the first batter of the first game we were playing Long Island and SD Harris first hitter hits a line drive right off his back. Oh, geez. and then, uh, and then Navarrete hit a homer off of him and, uh, he made it through like the first inning and, I was DH in that game. He, he gets pulled out. Brett takes him out of the game. He comes in, sits down next to me. And he's like, well, that didn't go the way we saw it. <laughs> and then Brett comes, Brett comes, looks at me. He goes, I thought you, heck man, I thought you said this guy was good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, he is, he's, he's tall. He's good looking. Like he, he's always been a good player. Um, but you look at that, like fast forward four months later, um, he figured some stuff out. He ended up having a, he had a, I mean, his numbers don't look good on paper, but um, he figured some he figured some stuff out late. He had like his last three starts were like lights out, and then he pitched Game Five for us in Southern Maryland and threw a complete game um, when we had no pitching. Threw a complete game. I think he gave up one or one run, two runs against mm. John Halama, who was the like one of the best pitchers for Southern Maryland, we won the championship with him on the mound. He ended up signing with Japan after that start and played for seven years over there. Uh, you guys uh, made it to the postseason in 2010, but uh, ultimately fell short, lost in the first round, uh, and then missed the postseason in 2011. Um, and, and that, again, that's a, that was a season that I wasn't a part of the, the organization at the time, but I've been watching the uh, the ESPN doc- documentary uh, The Last Dance uh, with Michael <laughs> Jordan which has been awesome. Um I'm not I'm yeah. not sure if you're an MJ fan at all but Oh, I I'm so upset that thing's over. Yeah, oh, it was so good. Yeah. But I, I I will say and maybe you could speak a little bit more to this. It kind of that 2011 season kind of had a similar feeling because I mean we talked about um you know some of that core group of guys that that you had mentioned earlier and 2011 uh, seemed to be the year where a lot of guys went in different directions. Obviously, you went to Sugarland, and we'll get into that. Um, that was Jim McGrain's last season um, in Somerset, Casey Cahill's last season. Nettles came back for 2012, but Hagen followed you to Sugarland. Ayala went over to Bridgeport. Um, and then sort of the next group of Patriot mainstays, like the Adam Donahues, Johnny Tucker, Corey Smith, Roy Merritt, started the next year. 
So what was that 2011 season like for you? And then I guess the transition into your post Somerset career in that off season, was it, was there sort of this feeling of finality that allowed you to move on? Well, first of all, not to backtrack, but that 2010 season, um, I think that was one of our, that was one of the more memorable seasons, 2008, 2009, obviously great years. But the 2010 year, we're, you know, obviously you go through and you're like, oh, we won two. All right, well, let's win three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that playoff series with York was probably the, the most fun, intense, closely matched and best playoff series we were a part of. I mean, that was a absolute battle. Um, and we didn't like each other at all. Um, you know, one of the things that made, makes the Atlantic League so great, like I said, is the rivalries and the fact that you do have core guys on each team that keep coming back. So different than the minor leagues, like you're coming back, you're playing against the same guys every time. And you're, you, you establish those, those, that competitive, you know, that competitive drive against teams, rivalries against pitchers, teams. I mean, the battles that Corey Thurman and I have, like I'll remember forever whenever he pitched. I loved it when he pitched. I wasn't that successful against him, but I loved when he pitched because that guy was going to give everything he had and battle and, and think through at bats and he was going to compete every time. And knowing he was on the mound, like just made everybody else better and want to compete more. I mean, I'll remember the at-bats I had against Thurm like forever. I could, I could tell you pitch sequences right now just because we were so intense and competed against each other like that. Um, and, and it, because it was York, I mean, that was, mm. you know, that was who we were always battling. Um, but 2010, I mean, you know, we didn't get to the championship, but that playoff series, I mean, those were the two best teams in the league and we were, it was, we had a really good team. I can remember that game in York. I can remember the last couple innings. I remember losing that game and just being the whole clubhouse was just devastated and kind of shocked. Mm. Um, didn't think there was any way we, we would lose. I think we lost one nothing or two to one. Um, you know, but going back to that, we had that core back and, and we made a run that year. We were basically out of it. A couple guys left. People were hurt. I was hurt for a lot of the year. Hagen was hurt. Um, people were coming in. We just couldn't click. And we got healthy towards the second half. And we had to, you want to talk about a guy like a leader in the clubhouse and a guy that had such a big part in everything, Casey Cahill. Like, first of all, the guy makes the best fantasy football draft board you will ever see like, <laughs> by far. Um, but, you know, the innings he put up, when, when we didn't have anybody, the, the, just the consistent human being he was in the clubhouse, like leader forever was always going to be there. He was just a, just stability, like just a solid human being and somebody you could always count on. Those were the type of guys that made us win. But I remember we were looking and we were, I don't know how many games out we were, but we had to win like something like there was like 25 or 30 games left and we had to be like eight games, nine games out, which is a heck of a, a run to get into the playoffs and Casey mm. just kept on like every time we win a game, he's like, that's one down. All we got to do is win the next one. All we get almost like a Kevin Millar thing with the Red mm. Sox, you know, all, and I remember him saying that his locker was next to mine. He's like, all we got to do is win the next one. 
and at first people were like, all right, Case, like, we know you're always Mr. Positive. We get <laughs> it. And then we started winning them and people started getting healthy and we we're like, holy crap, we could actually do this. And I think we ran off again. My memory is not that great, but I want to say we ran off something like 20 out of 26 games and ended up making the playoffs, um, and being full go healthy. And, uh, and, and it ended up being one of the best series, you know, that I can really remember. Um, and then when we lost, we were also pissed off once we got over in the off season. We're like, screw it. We're coming back again in 2011 and we're going to win. There you go. And, um, you know, it, same thing kind of happened. Same group of guys. Um, Elliot was really banged up all year. I was just getting old. Um, and, and started getting hurt a lot. And, you know, we, we, we didn't, we didn't have a good year. And Casey was right there saying, Hey guys, we're going to pull this together. And we just, we just didn't, it just ended up being one of those seasons. It was like every, every one run game, um, you know, that we usually, we were on the other side of it. Like the, the ball didn't bounce the right way. The diving play was made by the other team. The pass ball didn't get through and it just swung the other way. And, um, you know, it was still an amazing year, a lot of fun, all of my best friends. But it just didn't, you know, didn't work out the way the, the last dance worked out, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> um, so the 2011 season does end, and, and a lot of you guys sort of go your separate way. And, you know, obviously Patriots fans are going to remember where you went after that 2011 season. Um, you request a trade, and you become the first player in Sugarland Skeeter's history uh, because that 2012 season was there inaugural season you wind up spending two years in sugarland um i guess just to wrap up the your your time in somerset um what was that decision like for you i i, I understand that there was family down in texas um so yeah. how, how much did that play into into your decision and, and just you know how difficult was it to actually you know to end your time in somerset um it was it was really hard it was not uh it was not a very easy decision. Uh, look, I mean, everything comes to an end at some point. Um, you know, we had, we had a heck of a run and I knew that, you know, it, it was, it was a decision that I, I knew we had all decided like it was different. It, those guys, that core group of guys wasn't going to be back. It, they weren't going to be, uh, the majority of that team was going to end up splitting up, um, because life happens at some point. Uh, we all, unfortunately, as much as we don't want to, we all kind of got to grow up. Um, and we were, we were playing a kid's game and in our own world and just enjoying every day of it. Um, it just got to the point where I knew that core group wasn't going to be back. And I had never, in all of the places I traveled, I had never been able to play in front of my extended family and my entire extended family that I was close with lived in the woodlands which is about 45 mm-hmm. minutes from Sugarland. Um, I really only planned on playing one more year. Um, and I wanted to, if I had the opportunity to, and I decided to play, um, you know, I, I wanted to be able to have that extended family be able to watch me play, you know, cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles that had never really been able to, take take the time to be able to see me play um and they were opening up a new team there and you know i just said you know it's a good opportunity just to kind of 
ride out my last year and, and enjoy it, something new, and um, be able to spend some quality time with my extended family. Um, it was not an easy decision by any means, and it wasn't uh, a decision that I took lightly, but I just thought it was the right move for my family and I. So, uh, so you have the two seasons in Sugar Land and, uh, you know, your final season 2013 comes to a close. Uh, and then fast forward right before the 2017 season, um, the Patriots hosted a, a sort of a competition of sorts or just a, a look back, um, at the top 20 Patriots in franchise history. And, uh, you are named the number one, uh, player in franchise history. And then we have this all decade. Uh, team that just came out, um, and you were named to that as well. So uh, to sort of tie a bow, well, I have one more last question after this, but to tie a bow on your on your time in Somerset, what does it mean for you to be recognized for your accomplishments so many years after your your time in Somerset concluded, and and that team officials and fans still think so highly of, of all the production that you had, you know, on and off the field in your time here. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an unbelievable honor. I was incredibly humbled to, to just be in that conversation with all those guys. I mean, that's a heck of a fricking list. Um, <laughs> it really is. And, you know, for me, um, you know, what Mr. Califer has put together there and, you know, the longevity of the front office, you know, what Pat has done, um, the whole front office, the staff, you know, even, you know, Rusinov, like all those guys that still remain there, like those are the guys that make Somerset what it is. Brett, Sparky, you know, because we're going to come and go. Players are going to come and go. Like no matter what, I'm not going to be able to play there for 10 years. Um, and there's going to be a new cycle, a new core guys, a new – in that on that team, in that city, there's going to be a new set of back-to-back champions – there's going to be another guy that hits 35 homers. There's going to be another guy that wins 20 games. But the core of the Patriots is that front office and the coaching staff and just the the professionalism that they are. So to be named or voted or whatever it was, um, you know, in that list and just to be a part of the history of that, um, I'm very proud of because they gave me way more than I'll, I would. I ever gave them in the four years I was there. I mean, it, it was a unbelievable time for me. And I'll preface that by saying maybe it isn't for everybody. Um, Mm. everybody finds their own, you know, their own home, their own place in their own way. But for me, it was, for me, it was, you know, it, it was where I was supposed to be and it, it enabled me to enjoy, um, really enjoy and love baseball at the end of my career. I mean, my last at bat, ironically, my last at bat was in Somerset of my career, which Mm. was like, I wouldn't want to, you know, Hutt was on the mound and it was kind of weird because we were playing and, um, you know, I was either going to, it was the, the, bottom or top of the ninth, I guess it would be because we were in Somerset and I was hitting and it was the playoffs and it was kind of like kind of ironic that I was sitting there. And like I said, I was facing Hutton. We knew each other obviously really well. Unbelievable respect for that guy and what he's done. 
And, um, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I'm either going to hit a homer or my whole career is going to be over. Um, and, uh, and obviously I didn't hit a homer. Um, but to, to, uh, to, to be able to say that even at the end of my career, you know, people like, Oh, are you up? Were you upset? It's over. Do you, are you, are you, uh, people ask me, they had asked me, you know, does it think that you made the last out of your career uh, after like 16 years? And I was like, actually, like I was, first of all, I was really pissed because I was like, oh, I'm going to hit a homer <laughs> off a hut and then walk it off in Somerset or wouldn't have been a walk up. But isn't this going to be cool? And like, here goes a great story. Um, and then I was like, wah, wah, wah. I think I grounded up the second. <laughs> I didn't even strike out, so I couldn't even walk back. I had to like run to first while everybody's running off the field. Oh, um, but, uh, you know, t- sitting in the dugout afterwards, obviously being pissed and then being upset because my career was over, whatever. But then to think like, Hey, I actually, I actually w- ended my career by grounding out in Somerset. And the last field I ever walked off of was there, the, the place that became a home to me and that, that I owe kind of the, the rejuvenation of my career too. um, Ended up to me, not for everybody, but being a pretty cool end to a long journey. Um, you know, so even in the end, it, it was Somerset was really where I finished, um, which is how I would want it. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it was a good, it was a, it was a good ending and, and I, I, I ended up where I wanted to be. I, I would love to talk about the 2013 season more in detail because that was a, I mean, I wasn't a part of it, but that was, seems to be a really fun, uh, hell of a season between Sugarland and, and Somerset and the wins that both teams <laughs> were was. putting up. Um, and that was, I had some fun nights talking about that. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that must have been pretty fun and also a little weird for you to be going back and forth with all those wins. Very strange, but it was it was yeah. a lot of fun. It was a yeah. blast. Oh, so I, another time we'll we'll talk about that, Steve. But <laughs> I, I wanted to end on a positive note. So so the last one I have for you, uh, all of your time playing in Somerset. Um, of course, Brett Jody was here, but he wasn't the manager at the time. Brett would become manager in 2013. Um, your manager was Sparky Lyle, and and Sparky mm-hmm. is the name that everyone that's ever known anything about the Somerset Patriots, of course, knows very well. I wanted to see, and you kind of teased it a little bit at the beginning. No, I want to it's see. Not happen. Well, you're, if there's one story <laughs> that's appropriate, <laughs> I wanted to the see. The key there is appropriate. Yes, I'm not going to ask you what your best story of Sparky Lyle is. I want to see if you have one that stands out that's appropriate that you could that you could bring up on the pod. You know, I mean, there, there's there's so many times where he just knew when there needed to be like levity in the clubhouse and when he just had a great pulse for when, um, when we needed to, to just lighten up and relax and such a great pulse for the clubhouse that, that made him the manager he was. I mean, his open bars, everybody will always talk about the open bars. And that was like one thing, one of the things I heard before I came there and one of the talking points of what made it so fun. But if you really look back to when he would have those open bars, like it was calculated, mm. you know, it wasn't just like, Oh, let's go through a party. Um, 
and it was hmm. mandatory, not because of what went on or the antics or whatever, but because he wanted the team. He thought it was more important for the team to be together off the field when that pressure isn't on and you're not playing. He thought he knew how important it was for us to be able to take a load off and relax. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, tons of stories. And yeah. great with people, great with the kids, a great ambassador for, for Somerset. And, you know, um, Brett's done an unbelievable job taking over for him. I know Brett didn't take that lightly, you know, taking over for Spark. And uh, we all we owe all, a lot to him as well. Mm. Well, I think uh, I think that's going to be a good place uh, for us to end this. Um, th- this was a fun conversation, Josh. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to give me a call and, and and sort of catch up on some of the glory days. Oh, no problem at all, man. It was it was a blast. I'm I'm happy that uh, you invited me on. Thank you very much. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by NJM. At NJM, we understand the hardships you might be going through right now. That's why we're offering payment relief. We'll continue providing you protection no matter what tomorrow brings. Because dealing with uncertainties is our business. This isn't just insurance. It's NJM. The Something Patriots podcast is also presented by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is making it easier to see a doctor from home and cutting your costs so you can get the care you need. Here for you now and always. Learn more at horizonblue.com always. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. With eight locations on routes 202 and 31 in Flemington, has a commitment of providing an essential service to the community. In accordance with state and federal directives, all their service and parts operations are open for business with no contact pickup and delivery available. Sales operations are being conducted virtually, so you can shop at home online 24-7 at Flemington.com, and they'll deliver the vehicle to you. Flemington Car and Truck Country, taking all necessary precautions to assure a safe and healthy environment for their customers and associates, here for you today and tomorrow. And we're back to wrap up this week's episode. Um, A big thanks to Josh Presley for diving into such great detail about his time in Somerset. Um, Again, if you're listening to this episode on 1450 WCTC and want the full interview with Josh, you can find the archived version of this podcast on somersetpatriots.com. It's also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, and some other participating podcast platforms as well. Uh, this week's episode ran a bit long, so just two quick notes uh, to bring up before we go. Uh, first, the Patriots have both the Jersey Strong t-shirt uh, that we mentioned last week and knew that just we announced it last week. I didn't get a chance to bring it up on the pod. Uh, protective face masks. Uh, both the Jersey Strong t-shirt and protective face masks are available for purchase uh, on the Somerset Patriots website at somersetpatriots.com. Uh, So be sure to check both of those out. The proceeds from the sales will benefit the RWJ Barnabas Health Emergency Relief Fund. So it'll definitely benefit a good cause. Plus, they're pretty stylish. Not going to lie. They're pretty cool. Uh, So be sure to check both of those out. 
Also, just want to remind you guys to stay tuned on 1450 WCTC uh, for the rest of this weekend for the live rebroadcasts of a pair of memorable Somerset Patriots games from the 2017 season. Uh, The first game will be aired with the full radio call starting at 4 p.m. on Saturday, and the second one will be aired starting at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, But that's all we got for this week. Uh, Please be sure to enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. We'll have another episode next Friday, uh, so we'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Something Patriots podcast. The Somerset Patriots would like to thank the presenting sponsor of the podcast, RWJ Barnabas Health. They would also like to thank the supporting sponsors, TD Bank and Flemington Car and Truck Country, with proud sponsorship from T-Mobile, NJM Insurance, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and NJIT. Other thanks go to Flemington Department Store, AARP New Jersey, Sanofi, and Financial Resources Federal Credit Union, all valued partners of the Somerset Patriots. The Something Patriots podcast airs live on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, and on WCTCAM.com every Friday night from 6 to 7 p.m., with the archived versions also available for download on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms. The show is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.